This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter, we are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. We are glad that you have joined us. Uh, it's getting late in the season, Anthony. I mean, uh, normally we would really look like we'd still have plenty of ice ahead of us, but in a lot of areas, uh, folks are saying maybe the ice season is is kind of coming to an end right now. Yeah, it's pretty uh, it's pretty depressing for those in the southern part of the ice belt, I think, uh, whether they're losing their ice or it's unsafe uh, to be able to get out onto it. I know even around here, with the forecast coming, um, there's a lot of lakes that would normally have two feet of ice. There's eight, nine inches that I think once that stuns, sun starts beating on things, uh, it's not going to take long for that ice to deteriorate pretty quickly. Yeah, and as like you were talking here before we actually went on the air and, and started recording the podcast tonight, even the bigger lakes, the traditional lakes where you can go to late in the season, there's not a lot of snow to protect those access areas and, and some of the heavily traffic areas. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I know the the 10 to 14 day forecast is above average. So, you know, areas like Lake of the Woods, Lake Winnipeg, I think those areas will be okay for, for now. But if that 14 to 28 day forecast continues the way that the recent forecast is looking, could it get a little bit more tricky? I mean, I'm hoping that uh, Lake Winnipeg holds on for a little bit longer. I'm planning a, a trip up there in March. Um, and I know they've got, you know, 30 to 40 inches across most of the lake up there. So I think it'll just be a matter of getting onto the ice. Uh, the ice itself should hopefully hold on, but we'll see what happens. You never know what mother nature has in store. And like you said before, if we have to get the boats out early, we have to get the boats out early. Hey, that's, you know, that's, that's just what you have to do, right? You, mother nature doesn't ask us before she goes ahead and gives us the weather she gives us. We just have to be able to adapt to it make the best of it, and uh, and still go out and have a good time. Hey, I want to rewind a little bit, Anthony, before we bring our guest in here. And and really, you mentioned Lake Winnipeg, but you were up there not too long ago, and you had a pretty special trip. And I want to hear, and I want our listeners to hear, a little bit of the story that went into your last trip up to Lake Winnipeg. Yeah, absolutely. Lake Winnipeg is the land of giants. I mean, you dream of going up there and catching either a master angler over 28 inches or that dreamed about 30 inch greenback from Lake Winnipeg. And I was fortunate enough on our first day up there uh, about two weeks ago. Now on Friday, we ventured, ventured out, found a few different spots, found some spots that were holding some fish and had a 30 incher come in and I got it into the hole and I didn't even have to take it out. I just yelled at my buddy to grab the bump board. He brought it over. We laid it down. Uh, it was 30 and three quarter, but it had a 20 inch girth, which from people that I've talked to is anywhere from probably 13 to 14 pounds. We didn't, didn't have a scale handy and didn't want to put it through the stress of weighing it or anything like that. So got some good pictures, a little quick video and released her to swim again. Congratulations. That is truly, that is a fish of a lifetime. Uh, a lot of guys and gals are out there fishing, myself included, and have never broke the 30-inch mark. At 30 and three-quarter with the 20-inch girth. I mean, I hope you get a bigger one someday, but you it's possible you may not. That's, that's a, a fish of many memories. 
Yeah, I definitely set the bar with the weight. I'm hoping maybe I can beat the length someday, um, you know, get a 31 plus. But the weight's going to be, I think, the tough part. That fish was built pretty special, and just the, the girth and weight on it was uh, pretty unique. What a great place. What a great place. And uh, it's one of those places I just got back yesterday. One of those places that as much anticipation as a person holds for that the trip up there, it can also turn around and hand out that much uh, frustration and, and just challenges, uh, not necessarily weather-wise, but when for us, we had, we had a strong wind out of the north one day, then out of the south the next, and then out of the north the following day. And it really put the fish in a funk. And, and we caught fish, no doubt about it, but it wasn't necessarily what you expect. And we, we certainly didn't see any of the giants like you did. So um, really, really glad to hear that you had a good trip up there. And, and who knows? may get better from here, you know, if you make it up there again. We want to we wanna talk about um, maybe Lake Winnipeg, but more, I think, this time of the year on lakes like Lake of the Woods, some of our, our areas where we are targeting some of those staging big, big pike. And our guest today is someone who has really refined some of the techniques that are used to target those big fish. We want to welcome Greg Henskin, of Vulture Systems to the podcast. Greg, uh, welcome to Shack Talk. Thank you. I appreciate you guys inviting me to uh, talk with you guys. Hey, Greg, just give our listeners a little background here because we're, we'll, we'll talk some technique. We'll talk some uh, setups. We'll talk about some of the things that, that you've learned and maybe are willing to share with all of us when it comes to fishing for big pike, particularly uh, fishing them with tip-ups. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your your history? How'd you get into the to the vulture systems? You're actually the owner, right? Are you the are you the inventor, the 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 founder of it? Just just give us a little synopsis of your story. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So, um, I am located um, just outside Milwaukee, so we're in Wisconsin. I am an engineer by trade. Still, am an engineer by trade, um, and. For many, many years, I do wireless design, which fits into Vulture pretty well. I I had been making my own systems just for personal use that I've been using since about 2001, I think is what I, is best I can remember of when I first started putting transmitters on tip-ups and all that sort of stuff. And back in about 2015, I kind of got the itch. I had a lot of people that were telling me, hey, you should take this to market. And me being an engineer knew absolutely nothing about how to do that. So I actually um, got a couple of partners involved and we formed Vulture Systems in 2016 uh, where we made our first prototype. And that was, that was essentially the third generation of Vulture System. The other two generations were for personal use only. Oh, just a question, because I, and I own a Vulture system. I know Anthony does, and we've used them. But for a lot of our listeners, this is sort of a, a foreign name and, and concept if you haven't actually been in the practice of targeting these big pike and, and other fish with tip-ups. Tell us a little bit about what this system that you came up with does. Yeah, so Vulture Systems, is a, it's a long-range two-way system. Um, so it consists of sensors that you mount on your tip-up or on your, if you're bank fishing, guys use them for trapping. Um, they use them for home security and whatnot. We have a motion version of it as well. But they're sensors that you mount. Um, most of them are 
magnet triggered devices. So something has to move to set it off. So in the case of the tip up, it's the uh, flag, obviously. Um, and then for bank fishing and stuff, there's some accessories that go on these little sensors. And you as the user will have a little pendant, a little handheld unit that you wear and you just get instant notifications. So, um, and it's a two-way device, which is nice. So you can be sitting in your shack, you could be jigging. It, whenever it goes off, you're going to get that alert immediately so you can get out there quick. Um, but then at the same time, you can be at a distance, you know, basically checking the status of them, which is pretty unique to our system from everything else out there. Yeah, I know myself being able to use them pike fishing, it's really changed how we go about it. I mean, yes, it's it's fun to sit out and be on, you know, on the ice and visible to all the tip-ups and, you know, being able to watch and see when they come up. But man, being able to just, you know, maybe play a game of cards or cook some cook some food out on the ice and not have your direct focus being on checking the flags and just get the the beep on the notification sensor. It's a uh, it's quite the the game changer when it comes to tip-up pike fishing. We get that feedback a lot. We get people that are, that say, hey, you know, I really, I enjoy watching the flags come up. And, and I kind of laugh at it because I still watch my flags too a lot of times. You know, I still enjoy that. But then it, you get the other people that are like, you know what, it's way more exciting when that beep goes off. And, you know, it's, it's the same for me. I, I get excited either way. So, Okay, Greg, here's a, here's a question. Everybody yeah. I've shown this system to, their immediate reaction is, wow, that's super cool. And the second question, every single time that comes out of their mouth is, is it legal? <laughs> and so it's absolutely you- legal. <laughs> there is not a state that it is not legal. I've, heard, I've seen forums where people talked about in this state or that state, or whatever, that it's not, but it's, it's absolutely legal. Um, it's, an, it's an aid for anyone to be attending their tip-ups and stuff like that even quicker you know and that's the way i like to think of it we're not promoting people to be fishing a mile away which you can do in a lot of states some states you cannot but i've talked with every state there's out there um there were people doing this before us even that kind of pioneered it there were some states at one point it wasn't and they pioneered it and got rules changed in certain states for all of us so and nothing that we did it was other companies that did that previously well and i think it's nice to just i know you talked about the distance that you have to be from your lines to attend the lines but even just being inside of a fish house whether that's a permanent or a flip shack or a hub shack sometimes it's hard to see out the windows they get frosted up pretty quick if you've got a heater going and it's hard to really keep an eye on them and so even if they're not that far away having that system to just be able to you know kind of Forget about them for uh, for an easier term and be able to be notified if you get a bite. To me, that's just something that's so unique to to the product. Yeah, absolutely. That that is the intent of the product. It's not to you know promote fishing from a mile away. Um, you know, I like to tell people when they ask, "Well, why do you have such long range?" And our response to that is, "We'd rather have more range than not enough." Yep. You know, if you're sitting in a metal shack, you want in, you want to know that you're going to get it and you want to be able to verify from inside the shack that you're still in range, which is key to being two way, a two way device. So. All right. So how many, how many sensors? So in other words, what's your capacity on the number of tip ups that one unit can monitor at any given time? 
So the handheld has six buttons, and all that means is you can have up to six unique sensors on a given handheld. But the caveat to that is you can put as many as you want on a given button. Uh, so I have some guides. I have a guide up in the UP that he takes out huge groups of people. He has 36 sensors on one handheld. He didn't want to have, you know, six handhelds around his neck. That would be kind of silly. So in his case, he's fishing all within range. He doesn't need to pull them constantly. Um, so he just knows a number one goes off and then he looks towards his number ones and he sees the flag that's up. So you can do that. Wow. Now here I thought I was limited to the six sensors that I have. And now I've just opened a whole door of uh, more <laughs> possibilities. We get that question a lot. I think I've done some, I've done some uh, videos on YouTube and stuff uh, telling people about that as well. But yeah, that's a good question. For, uh, I know you mentioned, you know, using them for, for trapping and other techniques. What, uh, what is some of the feedback you get from those customers, clients, when they're using them for something other than tip-up fishing? Obviously, I know both Kyle and I have used them primarily for tip-up fishing, but, you know, what do you, what do you hear from the other, uh, the other consumers? So for trapping, where I mainly have seen it, like I use it personally on my back property by me, and it was more of a, it was more fun just to see, you know, how many raccoons I could catch in a given night or whatever. I had one day that I actually caught, I think it was four raccoons in the same trap in one night. And at that point, I kind of got the dirty look from my wife to turn it off because she got sick of me getting up in the middle of the night and going out there. Um, But we we have some pest control companies that are using them. And the way they use them is, you know, if they're trapping in somebody's attic and those people are not home, they'll get within, you know, they'll get within a mile of the house, half mile of the house. Um, If the people aren't home, they can at least know if the trap went off and then they know they got to get back there because they legally have to check them every day. But if a person's not home and it's in an attic, it's kind of hard to check a trap. So they use it for that. The actually the most unique thing that I think people are using it for is they'll disable that red light. Obviously you don't want that red light going off if you're trapping uh, and whatnot, but guys use them for bear bait monitoring which is a kind of a cool application. So they'll get within a mile of their bear bait. They'll put the sensor down in the stump, tie up a line up to all the logs on top of their bait. And, you know, if it got, if it got destroyed, the device will be an alarm without that flashing red light. And they can get within a mile and verify whether or not they need to go back in and rebate. If it doesn't come back as an alarm, then they stay out of there and, you know, limit their scent that they're bringing in and whatnot. So they can leave these things set up and go home and take their their uh, receiver unit out of range. And as soon as they get within range again, it'll give them the indication. Is that what yep. you're saying? Yeah, you'll get the positive feedback. So you pull it and you'll get the positive feedback that either it's still armed or it's an alarm. And like I said, they disable that. You don't want that red light going off, obviously, for... Uh, you know, hours after a bear hits a bait. But that was that's a kind of a unique situation that people found on their own. That's, very no, that's cool. really, yeah, really cool. I mean, especially if you already have them for fishing, it's a, another way to utilize them in the off season. And I know you talked about bank fishing. To me, that had my, 
my mind a little curious too. I was thinking about, well, how could I rig this, you know, maybe off of a dock or something and have a line out, but, you know, be up on the patio or something, grilling supper and be, still be able to, to monitor a bobber rod or something. So I definitely will have to look into that a little bit more. You know, it, it works amazing. We go to Pete and well for a week every year and we fish basically, you know, we fish, we don't fish all night long because at some point you want to go to bed, but we sit at the campfire right on the shore and we catch so many catfish. It is so much fun nonstop. That... And the kids get excited about it. You know, everybody sits at the fire longer. Otherwise people go to bed. <laughs> it seems so you take turns catching fish. When I know you talked about, you know, needing to get sleep at some point, I know for myself personally, the, the first time I got to use them was up on Lake of the Woods and we were pike fishing. And we'll, we'll probably get into the more detail on that as we talked about Lake of the Woods too. But, you know, we were catching, you know, both pike and walleye in the middle of the night that, you know, most people would think, okay, tip up fishing, you know, mm-hmm. needs to have the fish active during the day. No, we caught really nice walleyes, really nice pike in the middle of the night. And I hope I'm not giving away too many secrets for Lake of the Woods for those guys that go up there. But it, it's amazing, you know, just having lines in the water and being able to capitalize on that. We have caught our biggest pike at night that we've caught up there yet. I think definitely our biggest one, which was a few years ago, but my buddy Jordan caught, and that was at midnight. We were playing cards We've caught some of the biggest fish at night, pike. Fish. And we're targeting pike. So you fish Lake of the Woods. I think that's a primary um, destination when it comes to some of these big pike. But uh, do you have some of the areas closer to your home that you like to use these as well? Yeah, there's a number of places around here. I like to get down into the harbor, um, down by McKinley, down uh, by Milwaukee. We get down there and we use them on autos down there. Some A lot of the smaller lakes down in this area... There's just not big fish. They get get hit so hard. So really, you know, my favorite places are still uh, Lake of the Woods. I grew up on Winnebago. I hit Winnebago a lot in Lake Puckaway, a couple other lakes like that in the area. But we don't have as good a fishing as you guys do over that way. Yeah, we get a little spoiled, and I know a, a lake that gets probably overlooked a little bit, and I know there's even more of them in North Dakota, but I know Devil's Lake, I've been up there late ice pike fishing. You get to run four lines, and I've only got four sensors, so uh, it's good for me, but anybody else that's with me has got to watch their own flags. But, uh, no, it's fun to, to be able to get out and, and get after those late ice pike. I know we talked a little bit about it. Um, you guys have a, a trip upcoming. You're heading up to Lake of the Woods? Yeah, I'll be up there in two weeks. So there's a group of, I think we got 10 people going. Uh, some of the guys are going for seven days and we're going for four days, four nights. So it's kind of half and half. Nice. And I know that's kind of an annual trip for you guys, right? Yep. Yeah, we've. I think this is our, gosh, I can look on my wall over there. We, we keep fish logs. I think this is our sixth or seventh year now. I'm not positive. Wow. So let's talk a little strategy. You go up to Lake of the Woods. Do you always go the same time? Is it always the same week on the calendar? Or do you you have something that indicates, you know, at this point in the season, temperatures hit a certain mark, we get to a, you know, I don't know what, what it might be, but is there something that gives you the indication it's time to go up there? Or is it just every year on a certain weekend, you, you make your voyage? 
Um, we're always within a two weeks window. Um, sometimes it's defined by buddies that have stuff going on. This year we have a buddy that's expecting his first child soon. So we went a little bit earlier. Um, we've had other years where we went like the following week, but then we had other buddies that went the week after us and they weren't able to stay out in sleepers. So it's like, you don't, I'd rather go later, but there's a chance that you might, you know, depending on ice conditions and the shoreline and whatnot, that you might not get to stay out there and have to go in and out every day. And I don't want to do that. I love fishing all night long and like catch some of our biggest fish. Like I said, in the middle of the night. Once you get into March, this is what I found when I started doing this. And, and Anthony was the one that sort of mentored me or taught me or, or introduced me to this kind of fishing up there in Lake of the Woods. You get into March and, and the sun doesn't go down until, I mean, it's, it's after supper, really. It's when you traditionally have supper. So you're sort of stuck in that quandary. Do I quit fishing early and miss the best time of the day to be, you know, catching fish? in order to get back and off the ice and have dinner and, and get to your cabin or your hotel? Or do you stay out and then not have dinner till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night? That is a, that is a good question. That's why we like staying on the sleepers because I know for a fact that if we got, had to go in, we would probably have to leave during the best part of the fishing day because they're not driving those things in and out, you know, late at night. I don't even know what time they usually brought people in, but I I would be pretty sad if we couldn't stay out in the sleepers. Yeah, no, it's it's really fun that time of year to be able to to spend 24 hours out on the ice or multiple days out on the ice and and I think, you know, from Kyle's experience, mine, your guys' I'm sure you see it too where, you know, you might have a day or two where it's maybe a little slower, but if you're there in that right window when those fish are are putting on the feed bag or the conditions align where the weather's good and, you know, whether it's the pressure or the moon phase or whatever it might be, um, Lake of the Woods is definitely the place you want to be when the stars align because uh, it can get pretty crazy. Yeah, we have had absolute crazy days out there and we've had very, very slow days. We've had days of no flags, honestly, but those are pretty few and far between. Um, and, you know, some sometimes up there, it's like all day long and other days, you know, you'll get two or three at night, but it's very unpredictable up there. But uh, obviously we keep going back. There's reasons, <laughs> there's reasons we keep going back. We always do very well. So what do you, um, What's your strategy in terms of depth, types of structure? What is it you're looking for, Greg, when you're out there that you feel gives you the advantage of catching the biggest pike? The time of year that we're going out there, we're kind of, you know, we're pretty limited when we go out with, uh, you know, with the guides and whatnot because they basically drop the shacks and you're pretty much there the whole time. But they know those fish are coming in there. It's like a big mud flat that the big females and all the males and whatnot are coming in to start staging. So there's not a lot of structure out there. Um, for us, it's, it's more about presentation, depth, what bait they like a given year. It's different. It seems like it's different every year. Um, and we, we kind of work as a team and try to figure out what's working. Dead bait, live bait, you know, laying on bottom, elevated, it's different every year. Yeah, and it's it's crazy, too, how that can even different, you know, from a few days to another day. You know, we'll have one day where they're hitting the, 
the smaller deadbait. And the next day it's only the biggest, you know, alewives or tulabies that you can find and put down that they're, they want to hit. So it is, it's really interesting. And I think that's, you know, a good point to, to mention to anybody that's heading up there is, you know, vary your, vary your baits, vary your techniques, try and hone in on what's working best. Like you said, whether it's on the bottom, a foot off, three foot off, you know, middle of the column. Um, it's, it really depends on the day. I usually like to start with, you know, if I'm in eight foot of water, you know, trying to put it somewhere in the middle of the column. I mean, that way the fish, if they're up higher or lower, uh, they can intercept them. Um, but let the fish tell you what they want. Um, and then go from there. And you got to switch it up a lot. You absolutely have to switch it up a lot. I've had years where I kind of, well, just let it be. And you come to learn pretty fast that that's not a good strategy. When you guys are also, um, you know, setting tip-ups and you guys are leaving them out overnight, do you guys have any tips or tricks that you use for, you know, keeping your holes from freezing in or different things? Um, What do you guys like to use when you're up there? We have done, we've done the aerators. Um, I personally don't like those that much. Um, It's not very deep water. We've done it, you know, years that it was really bad. We have took totes out there we've had years where we we had a year where we had 60 mile an hour winds and you couldn't see more than like you couldn't even see the next shack over um and we basically took we had clear tubs that we take and we dig a hole we put the tub over the top of the um over the tip up and then we halfway bury it and then when the sensor goes off that whole tub just glows it's pretty awesome but that's helped. We've done candles. We've done, uh, last year we actually did something that I thought, I think I, I posted some videos of it. We made, we took some Pelican cases. They were like the Harbor Freight cheaper ones. And we basically cut a hole in the bottom of it. And it, it was basically our box tip up and we cut the flag short. And cause the flag only has to go up, you know, a couple inches to pull the magnet off and that worked really well. And then we put some of those, uh, Zippo hand warmers inside of it and they never iced up. It's pretty awesome. So I'll be doing that again this year. <laughs> well, depending on the weather, I guess. That's Maybe a I don't need to. great idea. That is a you Did you say you did a video on that? Yeah, I think I posted it last year and they worked awesome. Um, like you, the one thing you got to be careful of though is make sure you mark it really well and with your stakes on either side of it because I had one go off and it was at that point, you know, it was windy and it was buried. And I literally was like, where is this thing? And I'm digging. There's a video of that too, which I don't like people sharing. <laughs> I did find it and I got to it pretty quick, but it was a little embarrassing. So now I mark them a little bit better. It's interesting to see, you know, coming from someone that used the standard tip-up to, you know, all the different types of tip-ups and contraptions that are out there. I know there's the bite me boxes, there's the, you know, the the hot box or whatever. There's different techniques there. I know a lot of guys, you know, if it's nice enough out running the the iFish Pros or the Finicky Foolers or whatever have you, um, it's really interesting to see all the different techniques that are that are being used now. And I know, Kyle, you guys used the, the iFish Pros and had some fun catching them on rod and reel. Um, how would you compare that to, you know, hand over hand or using the rod and reel? Just from my experience, I mean, I think there's something nostalgic about the hand over hand, the old style tip up. You, you can't really deny that. But at the same time, 
to fight a fish of that caliber with a rod and reel and feel those head shakes in the rod and just that, if given the choice, is is probably my preference to, to use the the type where you can uh, fight them on a rod and reel. But both are pretty cool and and they both work really the same in terms of the the system. You know, the vulture system. You can really adapt it to just about any kind of tip up that's out there. At least that's what it appeared to me. Yeah, a bunch of the guys that we go with uh, to Lake of the Woods, they have a pretty sweet setup. Like I, I, I still use tip ups, um, but I watch them with their rods and they basically take the sensor along with our talon, which is our bank fishing accessory. And they just have a rod sitting there. Um, so it's basically an open spool system that fish grabs it, flips the talon arm over and it's got all the line in the world. They really have a lot of success with it. I, I think sometimes, believe it or not, even a pike feels that little bit of res- if they're not like aggressive, they feel that little bit of resistance sometimes, even just from the T bar. Um, Cause we've had years up there where they were just like catching quite a bit more than we were. And I think it had a lot to do with it, but so well, I, would, I watched I them on it and, and it looks fun, but yeah, no. And I would say even, you know, if it's really cold, the, the spools, they just don't always seem to flow out as quite as easy as an you know open spool on a, a spinning reel or something like that. So I, I would definitely think there's something to that if they can feel that resistance of the spool or the T-bar or whatever it might be um, having some, some impact on that. Yeah, we've took videos in the past. Like I've used some of the videos um, just to see, you know, like pike hitting and stuff like that. And you always see the videos of when they just aggressively hammer it. They don't always do that. Sometimes they just grab onto it and mold it a little bit. And so it's not, it's depends on how they feel that day, I guess. Then we talked a little bit about the bait and the, the rods and reels. Are you, uh, you're a proponent of a, a quick strike rig, a single treble. I know some guys use uh, circle hooks. What's your preferred method for for hooking up? I use single treble only. I don't like the quick strike uh, the quick strike rigs mainly because you know, I mean we use a lot of really big bait and stuff, but we're always hand landing the fish. I don't want that extra hook flying around. I've seen people get that extra hook in their hands and stuff like that, so I don't ever use those. Um, and nothing against them. It's just my preference. Yeah. And that extra hook too, is just another, another thing to get hooked on the bottom of the ice too. I know that's always an issue. Well, usually an issue on Lake of the Woods when you got 40 inches of ice, there's a lot of distance between you and the bottom of the hole and you don't need anything else getting hung up at the bottom either. I don't even use a bobber for marking anymore and stuff just because of that. I don't put anything else on. I don't put a split shot, anything. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, when it's, when it gets burned into the ice, there's nothing worse than that. We've had people like post, we've posted videos of, you know, when you, one year we had 52 inches of ice or something like that. And we, we've had fish that were just stuck and we, we always bring this, we have a couple mechanisms like a cane, long cane that we sit there and we're reaching down the hole, trying to push the line down. And people are like, these guys don't know what they're doing. It's like, (laughs) we do. If you haven't fished in that much ice before, you just don't understand the issues that you have, but it's funny. Yeah, absolutely. Especially that amount of ice and then it starts to honeycomb. And like you said, it doesn't take hardly anything for that line to cut into the ice and, you know, get stuck or hung up. And all of a sudden you're hoping that fish runs the opposite way to pull it free. But 
Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I always suggest to people, you know, bring something that you can reach down there. I know a lot of guys use like a hockey stick or, you know, broom handle. I've even had to grab a, a pole out of my Eskimo a flip over or a hub house before and run that down. And so make sure you have something with on a, on a normal year when there's that much ice. I mean, 20 inches or 24 inches can be, you know, just as troublesome too, but have something available because that is definitely something that happens more often than a person might think. Yep. Hey, Greg. Personal best pike. What are you at? You've been doing this for a while. I'm curious uh, to know. Um, so my personal best pike, my, so my, I guess the nicest one would be, I was trying to look what it was, 41.5, 21, 21 and 0.5 pounds, I think it was. Um, two years, two or three years ago, I had a 40 that was 21 pounds that was a tank. Um, and I think my longest at Lake of the Woods was, was almost 44 inches, but it was skinny. It was only like, I think it was 18 pounds. So that's my biggest. All very impressive fish. We have, uh, we had, uh, we had one trip up there that I think it was, we had 18 forties in one trip. So, wow kind of cheating a little bit I guess some people say <laughs> but I'll take it yeah and it doesn't happen all the time I know one of our better trips I think we had we had 20 fish over 36 inches and then I think we had eight or something over 40 was one of our our better trips you know with you know four to six guys but I know like you said guys will go up there for a week and you know six eight guys it's nothing to get a dozen over or 40 inches but you want to catch fish of that caliber, you need to go to where they live. Yep. And you don't always catch them. Last year, I had a terrible year. I caught a bunch of fish, but I don't think I caught one over 28 inches. I was I was, I was, was in the uh, nursery while everybody else was catching tanks, so that was not fun. It was fun watching them, but you still want to land one yourself. Yeah, when you don't get to participate, that uh, that tends to make it a little bit a, a little bit anxious to be uh, the next one up. And when it doesn't happen, that's always tough. But I think that's just the the nature of you know, anybody, right? Your competitive side kind of comes out, and it's always fun. I, we always like to have the little side wagers going on, first biggest, most, or whatever. And yep, we do the same. We have a championship belt. Every year I buy a belt for everyone. So I got one hanging up on my wall over here I'm looking at. Um, I just got the belt for uh, for this year. So Big Fish takes home the belt. Nice. So uh, it's a WWF belt. It's pretty, pretty sweet looking. So when you're up there and, uh, you know, you got a group of guys, do you guys take turns? Do you have a rotation? I know usually when I go up, we either draw straws or numbers or something to see who gets to go first and all of that stuff. What's your guys' strategy there? Everyone for themselves. Everyone for themselves. You cannot touch anybody else's tip-ups unless they tell you you can, which I've done that in the past. I've given tip-ups when I had really good years to people that were a little slow. Sure. So everybody's kind of just manning their own, their own tip-ups then. Yep. That's, that's rule number one. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I know usually when we go up there, you know, because you never know which, you know, hole might be the hot hole or depth might be the best one. You know, we've we've gone with the draw straw and take turns. And, boy, you you get really excited when it's your turn and you run out there and, you like you said, you just get a little hammer handle. We call them turn burners because uh, you burned a turn and then the next guy up gets, a you know, one of those 40-inchers. That, 
chaps you a little bit, but uh, that's the fun of it too. So is it flag or is it there has to be something on? Yeah, we typically go with you have to feel like a fish, like there has to be weight there. Um, you know, so if you set the hook and there's nothing there, I mean, they maybe just had to try to shake it off real quick. If it's yeah, you know, <laughs> so, you know. so you, maybe, yeah, like you said, try and shake it off so that you don't have to, to burn a turn, but, um, it's been fun. We've, we've even had it where it's somebody's turn and they're at one flag and then another flag goes and then it's, well, does the guy still have the turn or did he lose it? And so then they're racing to the next one. So it can get a little chaotic sometimes. That is part of the fun, right? That is part of it. And typically that time of the year, Greg, you, you talked about the time when, when it was 60 mile an hour winds and, and nasty, but wouldn't you agree? Once you kind of turn that corner into March, more often than not, your weather is going to be just a, a little bit better, at least where you can be able to, to hang out maybe outside during the warm part of the day. Yeah, I would say in general, you know, when we go, the tr- we go on the trip, we have we usually have like one or two nice days. So we always kind of look ahead to figure out, you know, where that nice day is. Cause we always have some special events we have planned uh, where we need warmer days. When we do uh we have a theme day where we, uh, we have costumes that we wear one year. It was leisure suits. It was superhero day this year's. Oh, I don't know if I should tell. I think I might, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tell what this year's is. If this year's a good one. So I'm hoping for a warm day. <laughs> it's fun it's for a bunch of uh, people probably think we're crazy but it's funny we live in a busy world right and and a lot of us have jobs and families that keep us really busy and focused and it's kind of fun to get away and what i found is uh, like i just got back from lake winnipeg right and you're you're dialed in because that next drop of the lure could pop one of those fish like anthony caught and you're just always on the focus, right? It's it's you're, it's a very intense kind of fishing. And what I found is with the tip ups, it's there's the anticipation, but it's mostly anticipation while you're waiting. And so it sort of lends itself to be a little bit more lighthearted while you're in between when those flags are going off. Absolutely, yeah. We like to we like to have fun while we're waiting. We listen to music, just hang out. Uh, we usually have a party shack that we kind of hang out in um, just because otherwise it gets the other shacks get a little busy, but um, just with the equipment and whatnot. But yeah, it's definitely uh, sometimes it gets a little, you get a little anxious and you're, you have 10 guys sitting in a shack and one handheld goes off and everybody's looking down to see who it is. And there's a lot of disappointment. And then there's one excited person usually. <laughs> so well, cool. I uh, really appreciate you, Greg, joining us and talking to us about vulture systems. I know, like Kyle mentioned before, both him and I have uh, experienced the system and uh, really enjoy it. And, you know, hopefully our, our listeners, you know, will look into it and take a, take something from the podcast. And, you know, if they're a diehard tip-up fisherman, bank fisherman, or however they might want to use it, um, check it out. If they do want to look up the vulture system, what's the best place for them to find that and, and get some more information? Yeah, so... Um, on vulturesystems.com, um, we obviously sell there. We have it listed on Amazon. Um, we have a YouTube channel. Um, probably could get more content up there. I all the amateur videos I have up there, but it's there, it's mainly up there just for you know trips, uh, tips and tricks and stuff like that, and you know all that sort of stuff. But um, our Facebook page 
Instagram, I'm not as good at keeping up with. I'm going to have to hire some younger person, like maybe my daughter to run that for me. <laughs> so, but yeah, those are the best places. Uh, there's a number of retailers. Uh, we have chose at this point in time to primarily work with your, uh, your, your smaller mom and pop bait shops. Um, so we kind of try to grab a, key, a few here and there and uh, stay loyal to them and they stay loyal to us. And that's the way we've been doing business. So Awesome. No, really appreciate it. And I know we talked more about the, the sensors, you know, probably with the magnets and stuff, but you guys this year came out with a new product as well, right? We did. Yeah, we came out with a brand new product. We introduced it at the uh, Wisconsin Ice Fishing Show this year, and we ran out of them very fast. Um, so it's a smaller version of it called the Revo. Um, what's unique about the Revo is it's a much smaller unit um, than our original sensor. Uh, the original sensor is not going anywhere. It has too many. It's used in way too many other applications. And, um whereas the Revo is primarily for tip-up fishing. So you can mount the Revo now on a flag. So it's it's smaller than a lot of the tip-up lights out there with the same radio in it. And you can also monet, um, set it up next to the T-bars now. So we have a little magnet mechanism that, that mounts on the T-bar, and it will actually tell you if it's spinning, which is nice. So you'll get that initial flag goes up, you clear that alarm, and then it gives you an indication of whether or not um, it's spinning. So I've had a lot of really good feedback from people where, you know, they're out walleye fishing, the flag goes up and what, you know, what do you normally do? You probably walk over there you got your ice cleats on, you're making all sorts of noise and the fish takes off. A lot of guys now they're, you know, cause you can visually see if it's spinning too from a distance. So they'll give it a little bit longer and before they make their way over there and getting a lot of good feedback from people that they love it. Um, so it's something that we're going to continue to improve on and uh, iterate. There's a lot of new features coming for Revo. Um, and everyone that bought Revo's already will get those features because you can update your firmware uh, on them through the app. So there's a lot of improvements and features coming. In fact, first people that bought them, really should go update them because um, there's been a lot of like battery life improvements and range improvements and, you know, just, you know, we get feedback from customers too and we, we will absolutely implement stuff if it makes sense, you know, and, and we do it a lot. Hey Greg, that you bring up a good point that I would have not even thought of. So how about someone like me and I've got a vulture system and it's a couple of years old. Do I need to go update anything on that? And if so, how often do you recommend people check? So on the original sensors, we do offer upgrades for them. Um, the original puck sensors, people call them puck sensors. Uh, I guess that's a good way to think of them. Um, those today do not have the ability to, for someone to do it on their own but we always want people to, to have be able to have the latest stuff so for like basically shipping and handling we have the ability people have the ability to send them in um and then we update them and we ship them back so um 
if you have the Connect handheld, so the Connect handheld is the handheld we released last year, which is the smartphone compatible one, you can do it yourself through the app. So what I will say is at this point in time, the sending in and updating isn't, we don't make money off it. We do it mainly for people to be able to have the latest stuff. That's not convenient for customers. It's not convenient for us. So we're working towards having the ability to update all devices. Um, it's just better for everyone. So down the road, I could see that, you know, the old style sensor doing a new version of it where people can do their firmware themselves too. But if you have two year old ones, you probably have the latest stuff at this point in time. Um, and if people have any questions about it, they can reach out to us. There is on our website under the sensor update, it kind of gives a rundown of features that have been updated over time. So my guess is you're probably okay. I don't know if you have the smartphone compatible one or not. No, that's, I don't. I, okay. I believe the okay. one I have is not smartphone compatible, but um, that might be something to look into. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If people reach out, if they have questions, uh, there's, there's a firmware version labeled on the outside of the, on the battery holder of the sensors and on the back of the handheld. Um, that's all I need to you know, basically tell you if, if there's a newer version, I'll tell you if, whether or not it's worth, worth it. Honestly, you know, some, some th- some changes are so minimal that you probably don't need it. So, and I always leave it up to the people if they still want to update them, then no problem. Well, we're all looking for the firmware version that just brings in the 40 inches, right? <laughs> yeah. I haven't figured that one out yet. Well, hopefully we can we can get that one figured out and we'll keep it we'll keep it in a tight circle and we won't we won't let anyone. Yeah, but it, it wouldn't yet. be as special then when you when you do it if you do it all the time, right? Right. No, that's that's probably cool, true. So yeah. Well, cool. Greg, again, thanks for joining us. I know Kyle and I are really looking forward to some late ice pike fishing and obviously using the, the Vulture system now that that's in our arsenal is uh, something that's changed it for us and makes it a little bit more enjoyable out on the ice. Not that uh, watching the flags isn't enjoyable too, but listening for the beep takes a little bit of pressure off and can kick back, put the feet up, uh, play a game of cards out on the ice and you know, enjoy some uh, some time on the, the ice with buddies and friends and family. So that's uh, what we're really looking forward to. And I, I wish you guys the best of luck when you go up to Lake of the Woods um, and hope you guys have a great time on your trip up there. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys inviting me on this. Um, I'm definitely going to start listening in a little bit more. You guys uh, have a very good uh, thing going on here, and I really appreciate it. So Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for joining us again. Uh, thanks to Eskimo for letting us uh, – Bring Shack Talk to you guys uh, every uh, every season. I know for Kyle and I, this uh, might be our last episode. I don't know. We'll see what happens with the ice. Um, you know, we got a couple of trips in our back pocket yet this season. So if something really exciting comes up, we might uh, might have to bring you another one. Uh, but if the conditions continue to deteriorate, boy, I, th- I think everybody's minds are going to start switching to, to open water. Um, but really appreciate everyone listening along. If you're joining us for this episode, go back and listen to the entire season. We had a lot of great guests on again this season. And, you know, there's multiple past seasons as well with lots of great content and conversations. So when you're heading out on that journey for, uh, you know, driving up to Lake of the Woods or you're sitting out on the ice for 24 hours and got nothing to listen to, uh, make sure to, to cue us up and listen in. Uh, we really appreciate all the, the listeners that we've had um, and the guests that we've had this season. Um, 
And thanks to everyone, Kyle. Any last words in case this is our last one? No, it's just been a, another fantastic season. And, you know, when, when we have the privilege of, of getting to visit with guests like Greg and, and so many of the others, it just makes it a whole lot of fun. It's a whole lot of fun to be able to talk to all these folks with you, Anthony. And and uh, it's it's always something I look forward to, which I think is what it's supposed to be. And I hope as listeners, you look forward to the next episode before it comes out just as much as we look forward to, you know, bringing it to you. So it, the seasons go by way too quick and there seems to never be quite enough time to get to all of the lakes and get out on all of the ice that we want to, but we do our best to, to make as much happen as we can. And, and we uh, are so appreciative of all of our listeners. So thanks for tuning in folks. And And uh, we'll see. Maybe it won't be our last one, but if it is, it's been a good spin around this season, and we'll be looking forward to first ice not too long.